0: So I'm just going to tell you that I know it's not where we're at in the Moses story, but I'm already into the plagues because the plague of frogs has settled in me. Um, I'm a little ahead of time. Rain came this morning. I'm thinking I'm a week off. Should have done this next week, but it is what it is. So uh, I'm going to try to get through this. But if you notice, I'm not like shaking your hands and all that kind of stuff or hugging on you and all that kind of, it, it's really just I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of you. And, uh, and that's why I wanted Sherry to hold your kids this morning instead of me. I thought, I don't know. So we're talking about two moments that define the man this moment uh, this morning. And uh, if you've been watching the Olympics, you've seen those interviews, you know, where they sit down with the athletes and they talk about, you know, what was the best moment or what was the high point or this, that, or the other about the games, and, and they're describing that particular moment of the game that was, you know, a, a, of great importance to them or really impacted them. And most of us tend to do that. We have certain points in time in our lives that we identify and say, oh, well, this moment or, or this moment or that moment, and. I suspect if I went out and took a mic out here and asked you, you know, give me a, you know, the most important moment of your life, you could tell me that and, and identify a certain time. Um, and so this morning we're going to talk about two moments in Moses' life. But what I really want you to hear is that, um, you know, those, those moments really, it, it's a little fallacious in the way we handle that, that we identify those particular moments because it's not really just the moment. It, it's kind of the train of things that comes out of that moment. Uh, that impacts our life across the thread of our lives and you'll see that as we're talking about at this moment and this morning about some of these events in Moses's life but but it, it, it's the way in which they stretch out and have impact across the years of our lives that changes who we are uh, and that actually changes our history so this moment we're going to look this morning we're going to look at two of those moments uh, and, and the impact of those on our friend Moses let's pray Father, this morning as the rain comes down and and nourishes the ground uh, around us, uh, we ask your spirit to come down and breathe life into us. Uh, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So I am want to remind you first off, uh, because you need to remember, uh, you know, Moses has been born into a Hebrew household. His mother has uh, given him up, and he's going to be raised by Pharaoh's daughter. But you remember that for the first several years of his life, he goes back, the, the Pharaoh's daughter sends him back to the household he's born in. His, his mother has him for the first several years of his life, so he knows who his birth parents are. He knows that he's a Hebrew. Um, he has that piece of his identity from very early in his life. Later on, he goes over to Pharaoh's uh, household, and Pharaoh's daughter raises him in uh, all, all that that would entail, all the luxury that would entail. But he always knows that, you know, here's, here's Pharaoh's household, and here he is uh, as a Hebrew. Uh, you know, he's, he's one step lower than the rest of the household. Now, he's still a lot of steps above everybody else in the land. But he's one step below that, and he's very much aware of, of what his true identity is. And that's important for us to remember as we come into this next part of his story. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and saw their forced labor. No, see, to his people, he knew who he was and saw their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his kinsfolk. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian. And hid him in the sand. Now, when we read through this, a lot of times uh, we kind of identify with Moses, you know, protecting uh, this relative of his against the Egyptian who's beating him, and, and that sense of defense. Um, this event is sometimes portrayed as kind of a crime of passion. Uh, that you know, Moses goes out there and sees this, and he gets so incensed by it that he kind of takes leave of his senses and 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 kills this guy before he even realizes what he's doing, and and then is you know filled with remorse. I want you to read the story, though, because that's not what it says. Uh, he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian, and then he hid him in the sand. Uh, this, this is not, you know, being overwhelmed with emotion so that you totally take leave of your senses and, and act. Um, even though he is in righteous indignation at what's going on, he still looks to see if anybody else is going to see what he does. And he still takes the time to hide the man's body. Um, It's murder. (laughs) That's what we're talking about. I mean, this is is him killing, intentionally killing this Egyptian. Now, when he went out the next day, he saw two Hebrews fighting. And he said to the one who was in the wrong, Why do you strike your fellow Hebrew? He answered, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. Now, I don't, I don't know why that surprises Moses that much. And I don't know why he really thought he could keep this quiet. Because remember, there's one person at least who knows exactly what happened, right? The other Hebrew that was being beaten. And, and when he went home, you know, and his wife said, Honey, how was your day? Do you think he said, oh, well, it was kind of boring today. didn't do much. I mean, he went home and he said, ah, you know, the the Egyptians were beating me and and Moses stepped in and he rescued me and blah, blah. I mean, you know, and, and word just went through, you know, the town, right? I mean, you don't do that kind of event and have it stay secret. So surely the thing is known. Yes. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh. He settled in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Remember, Pharaoh is, is afraid of the Hebrews, afraid that they're going to rise up against him. And so he's had this order to, to have all of the male children killed when they're born. Um, and, and knowing that a number of them have survived through that and knowing that Moses has survived through that, now all of a sudden Moses has killed one of his Egyptian taskmasters. And, and what Pharaoh has feared the most, he believes is coming to happen. That now that that Moses has risen up, he's going to lead this uprising against him. And and so out of fear and out of panic, he issues the order to kill Moses. And Moses flees from Pharaoh. Moses flees from the household where he has been growing up for the last 10, 15 years. He flees from that household. The, The household that has supported him, where he's learned, where he's taught, where he's eaten, where he's lived, now has turned against him and is trying to kill him. And I want you to think for just a moment and imagine for just a moment what it would feel like to have your household rise up against you to take your life. So he flees and, and heads into the desert. Now there's an interesting piece, I'm just going to touch on this a couple of times in this, that, that these stories appear also in the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, and so here's the first part, and, and, and you'll notice as, if you read through this just how similar it is to the Exodus story, even to this, you know, who made you ruler and judge? Do you want to kill me? Uh, Moses fled. I mean, you, you see that these stories are very similar. Um, and that's an important thing to note for this reason. Uh, Acts of the Apostles is written by Luke the historian. Uh, he, he's Greek. He's not Hebrew. Uh, he, he's not Jewish. And and he is writing this to chronicle it. And so even though he doesn't have this religious attachment to the story, Luke recognized that that story was important enough to the early church that they were retelling it. And he records it. And you notice how closely they're retelling it to the actual scriptures. Luke understood that this story was a story that carried importance for the early Christian church. That our brothers and sisters, early in the life of the Christian faith, that this story had something to say to them and they were sharing it with their brothers and sisters. So Luke is going to bring that across as he remembers it being told and share it with us again because he recognizes that it's an important story in the early faith. Now if, just to kind of give you a quick kind of orientation to what we're doing here and what we're talking about, uh, this, is, this is just kind of the, the lower part of Egypt here. and This is the land of Goshen. Uh, remember, we talked about the the delta here of the Nile River. This is the very fertile, green region uh, where most of the Hebrews would have settled and where they would have been farming. Uh, there's a town here called Pi-Ramses. Uh, this is a town that Ramses built to honor himself. Uh, it's a, a quite a magnificent thing. The ruins are huge, uh, temples, and you know all this kind of stuff. Uh, and and the ruins are still quite extensive there. Uh, this is probably where this event takes place that we're reading about today. It's probably where Moses uh, killed the Egyptian taskmaster. And so from this region here, Moses flees, and he travels down here into the wilderness. Now, you'll note here is Midian, over here, and this is uh, where the tribe mostly was. But in this day and age, um, boundaries are really more defined by where the tribe is than they are by, you know, geographical kind of boundaries necessarily. You'll see up here, here's the Edom, uh, Edomites, here the Moabites up here. Uh, so, so the tribes of Midian were in here, but they would have traveled into this wilderness because this was kind of a no man's land and different people would go in there to, uh, to travel across it. They would go in there to try to find pasture for their animals. Uh, and so as he comes down into here, he's going to come down into this region right in here where we have uh, what we think of as Mount Sinai and what uh, they would have called Mount Horeb. And this is the area that he's going to be in uh, for the next piece of our story. That's where he's going to land. And as he comes into that wilderness, we're told that when, uh, here's the first part, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill him. He settled in the land of Midian, sat down by a well. The priest of Midian had seven daughters. Now, do you all remember who the priest of Midian is? He's going to become Moses' father-in-law? What, what? Jethro. Yeah, Jethro. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, when I hear the name Jethro... I'm right back to the Beverly Hillbillies, I'm sorry, you know, and, and you, know, you have this kind of... Hig- uh, so we, you're going to have to work around that, don't know how to help you, but you've got to set that aside, because the Jethro in this story is going to be a man of great wisdom, uh, a man of, uh, to be highly respected. So this is going to be very different from what, what most of us have in our heads. Uh, so the priest has seven daughters. They came to draw water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. But some shepherds came and drove them away. Moses got up and came to their defense and watered their flock. Um, now, this is a big deal uh, because uh, here in this part of the desert, really there's not a lot of places to get water. There's not a lot of places to take care of your animals or your, your family or to provide food. And the location of this is um, in a rather hostile part of the desert. This is St. Catherine's Monastery right here. And you can see that in this region, there, you know, it, it's pretty dry, right? I mean, like, there is nothing. This makes West, Te- West Texas look green. Uh, and, and, I mean, it's just dry and barren. And over here on the side of the monastery, there is a, an artesian well, uh, and it forms an oasis. So this is a kind of a crossroads. It has been for millennia. Uh, in the middle of the desert this is where people come across and back and forth that's where they stop uh, they get water for their families they get water for their animals and without that they they would not make it across this desert they would die so Moses is at this well uh, and, and this is where he's going to intervene for the daughters of Jethro uh, not only to, to to provide water for them but you notice it mentioned watered his flocks because see that was probably in Jethro's mind about of equal importance. Uh, to be sure that his flocks were taken care of too as well as his family Uh, because without the flocks he couldn't care for his family so this is an important event that takes place and and Moses by doing this uh, really uh, you know makes a a strong impression on Jethro and Jethro is very much uh, impressed by him now this this monastery sits in a very key place I'm going to talk about this for just a second Uh, like I said there's a well over here that feeds the oasis Um, This is also the location where, uh, in a minute, we're going to read about the burning bush. And I know that may sound uh, like a a really big coincidence that it would be both locations, except, again, think about where you're at. You know, bushes require water. Do you see any other water out here anywhere? Right? I mean, the places where there's water and things growing are few and far between in this part of the world. And so it really is not that much of a coincidence. In fact, you should expect that... At this location, uh, this kind of crossroads in the middle of the desert, uh, one of the few places out there where there's water, that that's where you would also find the bush. Uh, The the monastery here was established in the 300s, originally with a smaller chapel, and then it was expanded in the late 500s to the size you see uh, in this picture here. Uh, It's quite a thriving community. Uh, People have been doing pilgrimages out there uh, since the 300s. And uh, if you go here, it's an Orthodox community, which means if you go in, uh, depending on who the priest is, you might or might not be allowed into the chapel, but you sure will not be allowed to take photographs in there, uh, and you will have to be under their rule while you're inside of here. Uh, This mountain in the back is part of the ridge that forms Mount Sinai. Uh, So this location is going to be important because this is where he is at the well. This is where the burning bush event is going to take place. This is the mountain on which he's going to go up and meet with God. And so all of that comes together in this one location. And this church was uh, built to mark that and to be able to uh, provide a place for people to come and worship in this space. So he's come out here. Uh, He's come to this desert. He, He intercedes on behalf of Jethro's daughters and And flocks and and takes care of them. And Jethro um, is very grateful and and very impressed by him. So Moses agreed to stay with the man. Jethro invites him to stay with his family. And Jethro gave Moses his daughter Zipporah in marriage. She bore a son and named him Gershom, for he said, and he named him Gershom, for he said, I have been an alien residing in a foreign land. Uh, So he comes out here and and, and now all of a sudden he's established. And And I want you to kind of think about the circle of his life and what's happened. Um, He's gone from being in Pharaoh's household. I mean, where he's got all he can want to eat, where he's got the the finest clothing. He's living in lavish style. Everything's provided for him. He's been educated, all those kinds of things. Uh, You know, life has been really good. Up until that moment, he's had to flee for his life. And now he is in the midst of the desert Dwelling with these uh, Bedouin people, uh, these, these wandering people, these nomads with their, sh- their sheep. And he's living as a shepherd, which is kind of the low end of the totem pole. I mean, this is kind of the bottom of, of the social ladder. Uh, raising his family out in the middle of this desert wilderness. I mean, he's, he's basically gone from, from living the high life to hiding out and hoping that somewhere out here he can be so inconspicuous that Pharaoh will never know he's there and he'll be able to live out the rest of his life. Whatever dreams or ambitions he may have had as a young man are gone. And he has resigned himself that all he's going to be now for the remainder of his years is a shepherd. Now, all of us have a... Things and events in our past, I think that, like Moses, you know, we're, we're they're, they're, they kind of weigh upon us. Now, hopefully, I, I think most of us don't, haven't murdered anybody, I'm, I'm hoping, but all of us have things in our past that we would really prefer to keep hidden. The things that we kind of want to sweep under the rug, stuff we hope nobody ever finds out about, uh, things that we don't want to tell people. Uh, things that we think, you know, well, if they knew this, you know, they, they, they wouldn't approve of me, they wouldn't be with me, they wouldn't spend time with me. All of us have, have that kind of baggage that we carry, and, and some of us are kind of hiding out in the desert, aren't we? You know, we, we've decided to, to let all that lie low, and, and we're going to hide out in the desert and kind of keep a low profile and hope that nobody figures out what's going on in our past. And here's what I need you to understand. No matter what it is or where you've been in your past, God knows. God knows. Moses is going to figure this out very shortly, uh, but God knows what the past is. I mean, the psalmist reminds us. Oh, Lord, you've searched me and known me. Uh, You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, under the ground, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So Moses is hiding out in the desert hoping no one knows he's there. Having traded the high life for the life of a shepherd. But God knows he's there. And whatever it is that you've kind of swept under the rug, you know, you need to know that God peels the rug back and knows it's there. Whatever it is that you would rather keep hidden, God knows about that. And, and anyone who, who is in an authentic, real relationship with the living God, at some point is going to have that moment when you realize that God knows. Like I said, I I don't have murder in my past, but there's things in my past I would prefer to keep quiet. But I I learned a long time ago that no matter how much I drank and and how much I doped and how much I tried to forget all of that, God did not forget. And I learned that, that no matter how fast I drove, God would keep up with me. And no matter how far I ran, that God would be there. And I learned that no matter how dark of... A state of degeneration I would enter into that, that God would shine light into that and the night would be like day. But this is the amazing part. <laughs> when God finds you there and you suddenly realize that God knows all that stuff that you're trying to keep secret, it's both intimidating and liberating. Because in finding you there, God pours out mercy and forgiveness and redemption. And you end up with that prayer. Search me, know my heart. Test me, know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. And I found that on my knees at the top of Red Mountain Pass in Colorado the first time it happened. And I don't know where your moment is. Well, I want you to hear that, that like Moses, when you come into the presence of the living God, there is this moment that is at once unsettling, but also gloriously freeing. So Moses has this moment one morning when he encounters the burning bush. He's out there hiding in the desert thinking he's got everything under control. And then he's keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God, where the monastery is. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses! Moses! Moses and he said, "Here I am." Really? Do you think that's really what he said? I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, if I was out there in the wilderness and I came on this bush and it's burning but it's not being consumed, and then it called my name, I think I would go, "Oh my god, what 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 is going on? Who are you? What the heck is happening? Am I losing my mind?" I don't think I would just calmly say, "Here I am." Kind of makes me wonder if somehow or another Moses already didn't have some inkling that something was going on, some sense of God's presence and call on his life, so that this was not as unexpected as you or I might find it. Here I am. Then God said, come no closer, remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. Now, now in the Middle East, even to this day, if you're out uh, in, in the countryside wandering, you're wearing sandals, you know, they're going to get dirty and nasty. And if you've got sheep out there, they're going to have sheep stuff all over them, you know, manure on them. And, and so when you come to someone's home, you take your sandals off. This is the polite thing to do. And you wash your feet so that you don't track that into your home. If you go to worship, even to this day in the Middle East, uh, uh, out, especially in the rural areas, if you go up there, you'll see people's shoes all outside because that's they take them off. Because this is holy ground and you don't want to track dirt and filth into it. That's also why to this day in the Middle East, if someone throws your, their shoe at you, that's a tremendous insult. So God says, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. Out here in the middle of the wilderness, this is, this is holy ground. Take your shoes off. And he said further, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Because remember, Moses grew up for a while with his family, but he's been in Pharaoh's household. So some of the stories of the faith may not be things he's learned. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites have now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. And at this point, Moses is probably going, yes, finally. You finally listened to this. You know, that, that suffering that I saw with my people and all that. God, you've heard it. You've come down. You're going to rescue them. You're going to bring them out. We're going to be vindicated. And, and, and he's all excited about that. And then God says, so come. I will send you to Pharaoh. To bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, out of Egypt. And at that point, Moses is going, Excuse me? Wait a minute, God. Pharaoh wants to kill me, and you're gonna send me back. I'm not going, but what are you talking about? Now, I'm just gonna tell you, have you ever been there? God has this thing he does, where when he wants to immerse himself into the course of history, he tends to raise up people to be in the middle of that ever had that happen? Where God is keeping you awake at night, and God's stirring things up in you, and and you think, ah, I just wish God would do something about this, when the whole time God is saying, well, no, you, (laughs) I'm calling you to do something about it. Some of you have heard me tell the story about um, sitting when my daughter was little and I'm feeding her and I'm holding this, this, you know, plump little baby and I'm, I'm watching television and they're covering the, starvi- the, the famine in the Sudan and the starvation. And as I'm standing there, I'm sitting there with the, my daughter in my lap, I'm watching a guy on TV talking about how difficult it is to watch his children starve to death. And, and in that moment, <laughs> I simply cannot not do Something I mean it 's like God has just convicted me, and for each one of us, God has those moments when he 's going to say i 've heard the suffering of my people, and now i 'm sending you i 'm sending you Moses hears that. <laughs> <laughs> but he's going to try to uh, avoid it. And again, this is the whole passage in, in the Acts of the Apostles. I'm just telling you, it echoes through because the early church heard this story and embraced it. But Moses said to God, after God calls him, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that it's I who sent you. When you have brought your people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. And Moses is thinking, no, we won't because they're going to kill me. We're not going to be back here. When I go in there, they're going to murder me. But God's saying, no, 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 it's going to be okay. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. Who am I? And then Moses says, well, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's the word we know as Yahweh, the name of God. I mean, to this day in the Orthodox Jewish community, they do not say the name. It is too holy and too sacred. They use the word Adonai, blessed one. Because the name of God can't be even spoken. But Moses has the impunity to say, uh, tell me your name. And God does. God does. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This my title for all generations. And he shared this sacred name, (laughs) this sacred statement about who he is with Moses. And first Moses says, well, you know, who, who, me? You know, no, no, not me. Surely you're thinking of someone else. And then, and then he says, okay, well, tell me your name. And God tells him his name. And, and, and then Moses comes back and says, but, but suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but say the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw the staff on the ground. And it became a snake. And Moses drew back from it like you or I would do. He also has Moses put his hand inside of his cloak and pull it out and it's covered in leprosy and he has him put it back and pull it out and it's healed again. You know, when they say, oh no, you don't know the Lord, you show them these signs, these wonders, these mighty works and that will be the sign to them to convince. And Moses, and Moses says, but Oh, my Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now that you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now, that's oftentimes uh, assumed to be some kind of a stutter. We don't really know. It may have been that Moses just hated speaking in front of people. Anybody get a little public fear of speaking going on? We, we don't know for sure. But Moses is trying to find a way out of this, right? Well, who am I? You know, what if they don't listen to me? Oh, you know, I can't really, I'm not me. I mean, I, I, what do I, who do I say, sent me? Oh, I can't do this. I can't even, I mean, I'm not a public speaker. And the Lord says to him, who gives speech to mortals? Who makes them mute or deaf, seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to speak. Now he's had four objections. He's had four answers. You'd think he'd get the picture. But having run out of excuses, he's reduced to begging. And he said, oh, Lord, please send someone else, right? Like your children do, you know, when you've been trying to get them to do something, they keep giving you all the excuses and all the excuses. Please don't make me do it, right? You've had that? Moses is just begging at this point. Please send someone else. And God finally loses his patience with him. (laughs) The anger of the Lord's kindled against Moses, he said, what of your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know that he can speak fluently. Even now, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, his heart will be glad. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. He indeed shall speak for you to the people. He shall serve as a mouth for you, and you shall serve as God for him. Take in your hand this staff with which you shall perform the signs." God finally goes, okay, okay, okay. I'm going to send you Aaron. Aaron can do the talking for you. You tell him what to say. He'll get up in front of the people and say it, you whiner. And so they set off with Aaron to speak and Moses to do the great signs. Now, this is, if if you're going to choose somebody to rescue your people, I mean, wouldn't you like it to be somebody more like Joshua, right? You know, Joshua says, you know, well... Who can stand against us? You know, I mean, if God is on our side, who can be against us? I mean, he's always saying that all through the whole book. You know, whenever things happen, he's going, well, if God's on our side, why should we be afraid? Who can be against us? God comes to Moses, and Moses is trying to find every excuse he can under the books not to have to do this. And I don't know about you, but that gives me great hope. (laughs) I mean, you know, God chose to send Moses the murderer. God chose to send Moses, the afraid. God chose to send Moses, the reluctant. God chose to send Moses, the awkward. God chose to send Moses, the whiner. And I wonder what God has chosen for you to do. Moses goes to the desert to hide. God searches out his secrets. God redeems him. And then God sends him. Where is God going to send you? Let's pray. Mighty God, we give you thanks. That even in those times when we are trying to hide things, and when those times we are living in fear, that you, you come and you search us out. That no matter where we run, you are with us. No matter how dark the day, your light is there. That you know our thoughts, our words, our hearts. And that knowing that, you do not condemn us, but you forgive us and you redeem us. And having forgiven and redeemed us, you call us and you send us. So, Father, (laughs) break the darkness of our minds and the hardness of our hearts, the reluctance of our spirits. Let us hear your call upon our lives. And like Moses, send us. Amen.